I'm excited about this sermon like I usually am. Um, but it was an interesting sermon um, to prepare for. You know, I'm usually, I only preach once, usually once a month, sometimes more, but, you know, I have plenty of time to think about my sermons. And so I'll have the passage in mind and I'll be thinking about it and praying about it. And God will usually kind of give me stuff and I write it down. And, you know, I'm just praying about God, what do you want to share? What do you, what do you want me to say? Stuff like that. This sermon, I had some direction, but it was just interesting because, like, I don't feel like anything you're going to hear today is, I feel like this is one of those reminder sermons, you know? I don't feel like anything you're going to hear today is going to be life-altering or anything like that. But I'm encouraged with these kind of sermons because Peter, when he wrote, I believe it's the book of 1 Peter, one of the Peter books, he says, you know, as long as I'm here, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. And even the stuff Peter was telling the church wasn't all necessarily new to them, but he just wanted to remind them. Sometimes it's good to be reminded, right? So I hope today will be a good reminder for all of us. I know it is for me. Um, and I titled it Reclaiming the Church because it's an interesting time we're living in, you know, I think to say the least. And, and I wonder sometimes if every generation has felt that way, like their time was the most tumultuous or the most weird, but I do really feel like we live in a weird time. You know, we've got I think because of technology, you know, the exposure to what's going on in the world is so much greater today than it ever has been. You know, something happens in Turkey and it's on the internet within minutes and we know about it within an hour over here. You know, that's such a weird time in that regard. Um, And, you know, there's corona, there's corruption that's being exposed all over the world. There's so many weird things going on. I think there's a lot people feel afraid of. and I think something else that's going on that I kind of wanted to touch on is I feel like there's a lot going on in the American church as well. Um, I feel like right now, at more than any time in my life, there's been so much exposure of like things going on in the church, scandals, you know, problems, um, big leaders, you know, things being exposed about them, stuff like that. And I think what's becoming clear in many ways uh, either through scandals or people just talking about things that the church has taught that haven't been good, is we are seeing that, unfortunately, sometimes people have used their position in the church to abuse others, to hurt people, either spiritually or sexually abuse them or whatever. You know, there's been a lot of stuff being exposed. Um, it's just a crazy time. You know, and like... I was thinking about why this is, and what I'm about to say is a little hard to explain, and I I hope it makes sense. Um, I don't know that this is the only reason, but something I was thinking about is that when a challenge we have to face, and that the church has had to face in the past, is when Christianity gets mixed with social or political power, it's difficult for Christianity to remain pure. So, like, what I mean is, like, let me give you an example from back then, like, when Christianity first started, and it was illegal because they wouldn't worship the emperor and all that stuff, right? It was a lot harder to be a fake Christian because there wasn't any worldly prospect in it, right? Like you're not going to get rich off of it. If you want to be a Christian, that's not going to help you socially. It's not going to help you in any way. You're going to be an outcast. You're going to be persecuted. So it's not that fakes didn't get into the church back then, but it was a lot harder, right? Like there was no incentive to do it. But it's interesting, and I'm, I'm not a history buff. I'm still, I call myself maybe a history amateur, but it's, 
it's interesting because around 300, 400 AD, I forget the exact date, Constantine not only made Christianity legal in Rome, but he converted to Christianity. The Roman emperor had an official conversion to Christianity and it was legalized. So when that happened, things really began to shift in the Christian church because now it was not only legal to be a Christian, it was socially and politically beneficial to be a Christian. Because who, if the Roman emperor is a Christian, who is he going to want to appoint as his top guys? You know, who, what's going to be a really helpful thing to have on your resume if you want to get moved up in the political or social chain? To be a Christian, to adhere to the teachings of Jesus, right? So people now who wanted power could use the name of Jesus and professed adherence to his teachings as a springboard for worldly gain and influence. Isn't that interesting? And um, I think what began to happen is instead of people seeing Jesus and repenting of their sin and submitting to Jesus' will, it began to be a question of how can I take Christianity and use it to advance my will? How can I use Christianity for my end, my gains? Now, in a similar way, I think we wrestle with that in America today because um, in America, you can become really rich being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you never have to fear for your life. You know, Christianity can really benefit you politically. You can reach a lot of voters if you claim to be Christian. It can benefit you socially. You know, it can benefit you monetarily if you know how to use the scriptures to try and get money. Um, and, and so... And this is what, it's a little bit hard to explain, but I hope you're tracking with me. It's like, what I, what I see, this is just a personal thing, but what I see is that sometimes in the Christian church, the way the world leads and does things has gotten mixed up with the Christian faith. And so what you see sometimes is people in churches leading and directing things in a worldly way. So like, and Jesus said, we're not, as leaders, we're not supposed to dominate. We're not supposed to lead like the rulers of this world lead subjecting people and dominating people. But sometimes in churches and denominations nowadays, like it's kind of like run like a business, you know? The pastor's the head dude. He hires and fires. He's the boss. He can dominate. And denomination can even be that way, where it becomes this almost corporate mega thing, but it's got Jesus's name stamped all over it. I hope you kind of understand what I'm saying. It's a little bit hard to explain, but and it's, it's weird because we, as a church, we have to wrestle with, like, how do we get to the pure Christian faith? And what has infiltrated the way we do church, the way we do everything? What has infiltrated that's not really needing to be there, or maybe that's not even good or healthy, you know? Um, it's a challenge for pastors to try and figure that out. And the reason I was saying all that is because talking about abuse, spiritual abuse, or sexual abuse, I feel like some of the ways that we, the church has gotten mixed up with the ways of the world has, has lent, lent itself to that, has allowed these kind of abuses to happen, where pastors can be preaching and doing great services and stuff, but behind the scenes, they're leading and domineering in ways that are really unhealthy and ungodly, but it's accepted because that's just kind of like the, I don't know, kind of the system that's been put in place. Um, again, I'm I'm not sure I'm explaining that the best. Um, I put here, like, sometimes denomination and churches have been run like businesses. Sometimes those in authority can use their power in ways that aren't appropriate. And scandals 
will get covered up in the name of preserving the good work being done in the name of the church. That's, that happens. Um, it's like the services are happening, the Bible is being taught, but behind the scenes, there's all this stuff going on that isn't the way Jesus wanted it. And that is the, the struggle we face as a church in America today, is how do we divorce ourselves from this mega thing that the church has become that isn't healthy all the time. Now, y'all know I'm not against big churches. I think a big church can be good. But what I'm talking about, to use an analogy, is like, if you want to get, like, y'all know bodybuilders use like testosterone and performance-enhancing drugs and stuff like that, right? And they get jacked, like they are massive, right? But a lot of bodybuilders die at a young age because the things they're doing to themselves are making them really unhealthy. So on the outside, they look great. They look like the picture of health, but they've got enlarged hearts. They've got enlarged livers. They're, uh, they'll die of like cardiac arrest at like 40 something, you know? And that is kind of, to me, a picture, I think, of what happens sometimes when we embrace worldly ways of growing and doing business and try to put it into the church. We look huge and massive sometimes and like, wow, look at the church. It's so big. But on the inside, there's friction, there's fighting, there's ungodly behavior and ways of doing things. You see what I'm saying? And that's why churches can be so big sometimes and then split and there's these scandals. And it's like, how could this pastor preach on Sunday and like be living this double life that nobody held him accountable for, nobody knew about? It's like, we've got some things going on that aren't healthy. And we need to figure out what those are and try to stop doing that. Try and get back to pure Christianity. But the one thing I love about God, and all this is going to tie into our passage here in a minute, is that I was thinking about this. This this statement might seem not true at first, but I really think it is. God is more concerned with the character and integrity of his church than he is with his reputation in the world. And what I mean is, like, sometimes in churches nowadays, in order to preserve the, the reputation of the church and the community or whatever, scandals will get swept under the rug. It's like, we're trying to handle this without making a big deal about it, try and, you know, let as few people know as possible. But God doesn't seem to be that way. Like, he is okay with things coming out and being exposed. And he's even okay with the world mocking the church in the meantime. God is okay with all this stuff coming out and being exposed so that he can begin to build the pure church that the world will marvel at. God is okay with all of this stuff coming out and the church being, if you will, embarrassed in front of the world so that God can begin to rebuild the church so that someday the world will look at the church and marvel at it and not mock it anymore. You know, God isn't trying to just protect his reputation. He wants a pure, a pure church, right? He wants us to really be real. He wants us to be clean. And so when you, you know, there's a lot of unrest in, in the world about the church, and I see a lot of young people being frustrated about this with the church and frustrated about that, but I'm excited about it because when the church gets cleansed from things that aren't healthy for it, we're going to come out stronger and better. And the world is going to have a reason to look at the church and think that Jesus is real. I love that the church is being challenged on the way we've done leadership, on the way we've treated women. I love that we're being challenged on the big church model 
and if that's really healthy. I love that we're being challenged on our political alliances and America first. I love that the church is being challenged to ask itself, is this really what Christianity is all about? I'm thankful for that because I think we are going to come out of it better. I believe God is calling us back to purity. I believe that's what we're living in right now, like in our time. I believe that's what's happening to the church right now. We're being called back to purity. And he's reminding us that what he really wants is not primarily a big church that can throw its weight around, but he wants a church that will be ready to be his bride when he comes. That's what he wants. He doesn't care if we can overturn the next election. He doesn't care about any of that. And I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm glad that we can influence society politically and all that if we are staying pure to the true faith and we are not beginning to move towards things that aren't good, you know? So let's turn to the book of James chapter three. We're going to start in verse 13. And you'll see why in a minute all this was, I was thinking about all this and why it was standing out to me. Because James is going to begin to talk about real wisdom and understanding. And I love what he points out here. James is so practical. He's so to the point, you know. And he talks about what does God really want out of us? What is real wisdom and understanding in the church? So let's start in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let's look at 13 through 15 first. Um, so James is saying here that true wisdom and understanding, and I think by extension, we could say true Christianity, you know, truly what we're trying to get to. It's not marked by what you accomplish in a worldly sense, but it's rather works that flow from your character. And, and so I think the main point of what I'm trying to get out for this whole sermon is if we want the church to be reclaimed, if we want the church to become something that the world wonders at, like we need to remember and get back down to the foundation that, and I'm not saying we aren't doing this. Again, this is just a reminder, like I said, but the reason Jesus died and rose again is because he wants us to become good people deep down, right? Like he's not worried about how big we get. He's not worried about how much influence we have in the world. He wants you and me to become people of character, to become people of integrity. That's what matters. Because if we're running the church game and we're getting really big and we're not healthy and we're not people of integrity, it's worthless. It's all going to fall apart. And God will let it fall apart because he wants us 
He doesn't want our money necessarily, which I'm not saying giving money is bad. He doesn't want our buildings and our projects necessarily. I'm not saying those are bad. But what he wants the most is us, right? I know we know that. Just a good reminder. I, uh, to make it really simple, God wants us, like his ultimate goal for us is to be good fathers and mothers, to be good brothers and sisters, good spouses to our spouse, to be good people who truly love each other in the church. That's what we should focus on. That's what matters. These are more important, like the foundational things, the simple things, the way we live in our day in and day out life. That's more important than anything else. Because like, it's easy to play Christianese. I don't know if y'all know this, but like, it's not hard for some people to get up and give a sermon. If you're gifted in communication, if you're gifted to be able to get a crowd going, like, I, I feel like, like there are people out there who could get this room jumping and clapping and saying amen and all of that, and that's not bad. Like, all that's good. And you, the church services can be good, and they can be big and all of that. But who am I when I go home? Does my daughter trust me? Does my wife trust me? Can she look at me and say, I know what he's talking about because I see him living that at home. Because I really think that's the problem. Like we've gotten into, we get into this rut with the church. We're like, we got to keep the programs going. We got to keep the services going. But the, sometimes the people in leadership, like they're falling apart morally and integ- with their integrity, right? But they've got to keep it going. It's their career. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to not worry about the career and the programs and stuff. We need to get back to what really matters, you know? Forget the church building. Close the door if that's going to save your family, you know? Forget the programs and the money and all of that. Shut it all down if that's what it's going to take for you to become a person of integrity. There are powerful ministries that have big scandals. And this is something I'd like to say. This is sort of a side note, but I think it's good to understand. Sometimes I've wondered, why could somebody be such an amazing minister you know, so powerful, like you listen to them and it's like God is speaking right through them. And then you find out later they've been like cheating on their wife, you know, or doing all kinds of stuff, embezzling money. It's like, how is that possible? And this is why I think, in my personal opinion, is because the Bible says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So what that means is if I, if God gifts you to be a person who is gifted in exhortation, if you are gifted to move in the spirit in a certain way, Just because you start living in sin, God doesn't just take that gift away, right? So somebody can start moving powerfully in the spirit in the ministry, but over here, their life is falling apart, but they can still do it because that's a gift God has given them. They know how to operate in it. And so again, the the reason I'm saying that is it doesn't matter how powerful somebody is on stage. It doesn't matter what we do and how many people get saved. There was a person who... Uh, doesn't really matter. It's just something I think of. Y'all heard of the Jesus people movement? There was an evangelist there who, I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to say it because I think, I think he had some legitimate struggles, but I'm just saying he was powerful in the spirit, you know? But man, he had some serious, serious problems going on under the surface that nobody knew about. All that to say, our integrity matters, you know? Um, who am I when I go home? I heard a sermon one time and this part just hit me. 
David Wilkerson was preaching to a room full of pastors, and he said he was talking about a guy who was such a powerful minister, right? And people would come up to his wife and ask him, what's it like to live with such an amazing man of God? And she was like, I don't know. I've never met him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it true, though, that we can play the church game? Now, I'm talking about ministers, but y'all know what I'm talking about, some of y'all that aren't ministers. It's easy to come here and play the church game, put on the church face, and try to stuff down, ignore, hide the things that we're doing over here that we know aren't right, but we don't want to let go of. And what God wants is not our church attendance, not our performance. He wants you. And whatever it takes for you to be totally his, for you to stop hiding and lying and covering up, whatever it takes, that is what God is willing to do. He's willing for it all to fall apart if that means he gets you back. And that's what he wants for the church. So, God wants to transform us into truly good people. Look at what it says in verse 14 of James chapter 3. It says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It's, I love James, man. He was so smart but, and wise. Like He points out here, and I was just like, wow, it's so true. He points out here the two, I would call maybe the pillars of sin, jealousy and selfish ambition. And if you think about it, so much of our sin, maybe all of our sin could be rooted in one of those two things. Like how many wars, fights, arguments have been started because somebody was jealous, right? I want your land. I want your stuff. I want your position. I want your spouse. You know, jealousy is the cause of so many problems. And then selfish ambition is like everything else. You know, why, why can't we admit when we're wrong? Why can't, why are we so impatient with our spouse or our children? Why do we keep engaging in sinful behavior that hurts ourselves and others? It's because we've got some sort of selfish, ambitious something inside of us, right? It's all about me. I'm not going to apologize to them. They are getting in my way. That's why I snap at them. I'm not giving this up. It makes me feel good. I'm not going to act that way because I don't want to. It's selfish, right? And so he points out, when you have jealousy or selfish ambition, you have disorder and every evil practice that there is. And he says, there's no point in lying about it. He says, just admit it. Like, stop trying to be fake and do both, both sides of the game. Just get real. Let's do something about it. What's the point of playing the church game, right? Again, I'm not saying necessarily anybody in here is doing this. It's a reminder. It's amazing to me, talking about selfish ambition, how people will justify their sin. I mean, I worked in a, a pretty rough environment at my last job for about six years. And I got to talk to people sometimes about things like pornography or, uh, you know, lying. And man, I have heard justifications for everything you can imagine, from, from porn to divorcing your wife to lying about fixing up a crappy car and turning it in uh, so you can get a good deal on it before they find out that it's, you know, before the engine light comes back on, you know? People will justify everything to justify their selfish ambition. And James says, it's 
stupid. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. That's the Christian way of saying that these excuses we use are horse manure, right? <laughs> and I said it even in a nicer way than that. So it's, 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 it's stupid. You know, our justifications for the sins that we hold on to and we don't want to give up, they're stupid. They're earthly, they're unspiritual, and the scariest thing is that they're demonic. And it is so true. Scott's talked about this up here that we can begin to join league with the devil and what he thinks the longer we try to justify our sin. It's not hurting anybody. Nobody knows about it. It's fine. I need this. God understands. All these kind of things we use, right? And God is crying out and saying, I want you. Don't try to play both sides of the fence. Give it up. Admit it. Don't lie. Don't boast about it. Don't lie against the truth. Let's not cover up and justify our sins. Going on to verse 16, he talks about what God really wants. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this is what God really wants for us. God wants a church, not that's big, not that's influential. He wants a church that's pure, that's peaceable, that's impartial and sincere, that's full of mercy and good fruits, that's open to reason. That's what God wants. I I think it's so cool that this list is very similar to the Beatitudes. Y'all know, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. I think James had definitely spent time listening to Jesus Notice he doesn't say the wisdom that descends from above is first of all tithing money, attending on Sundays, nodding heads in sermons, serving on the worship team, full of agreement to whatever you say, but not really doing it later in the week. That's not the wisdom that comes from heaven. Amen. God wants us to be real. So let's just go through some of these real quick. I'm actually almost done, believe it or not. It's a short sermon. I love how the first thing out of the gate here is purity. I love that, especially in our day where so much sexual impurity is being exposed in the church. And I mean, purity can mean a lot of different things in this context, but to just focus on one that's relevant to us, I mean, how devastating has it been for all of us to have somebody in the church in America we looked up to and to find out later they were living in sexual sin, you know? And God is letting that be exposed because he wants us to be pure. Purity is such an integrity issue because it's so private. Can you be trusted when you're alone to be faithful to your wife, to be faithful to your children? I mean, you're talking about, you're going out, talking about loving the world. Can you even love your own family? Can you even love when you're alone? That is so important. Like forget about the big ministries and stuff. Can we be trusted to be faithful to our family? That word here, pure, is actually really interesting. It, means, it literally means true or certain. It's actually used as an adjective like truly or indeed or something like that. So, but it's translated pure here, but it means like true. Are you true? Are you someone who's a person of integrity alone? That's what God cares about, right? Next, he says, peaceable. And gentle. 
I think that's a good one for us in our world where, you know, it's maybe not so prevalent here, but a lot of the kids I work with have been raised in this mentality of like, you can't talk to me, you can't disrespect me, you gotta defend myself, you know? Sometimes we're taught that being harsh or being firm or not letting anybody talk down to us is a sign of strength. Somebody who keeps their kids in line, you know? I'm thankful we have a lot of really great fathers in our church. True godliness is not when we lead with a harsh hand, it's when we control our power and use it gently and peaceably to love our children and our spouse. Are you being gentle with your spouse? Are you being gentle with your kids? Are you walking in peace or are you constantly fighting, hurting, attacking? These are things God cares about. Like forget about the worship team, right? How do you love your spouse? How do you love your kids? Mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. Open to reason. Are we willing to be corrected? Are you willing for somebody to come and tell you where you're wrong? Are you, this is a good one, are you resisting God's leading in your life? Is there a place where God is trying to move you and you don't want to do it? These are good questions, right? Again, it's just like the foundation, you know? What are we building on? It's possible to be out there. Listen to this. It is possible to be out there doing ministry and be a hypocrite at home, but it is impossible to be real at home and not have an impact on the world. You understand what I'm saying? If you are being a person of integrity and virtue in your home, in your most intimate settings, when you're alone, if you're real, you are going to impact the world even if you never get up and preach a sermon. But you can get up and preach a thousand sermons and be a hypocrite. I would rather never preach another day in my life if I can be a good husband and a good father. You know what I'm saying? That is what God wants. So I just have two desires for this sermon to wrap it up. Again, I didn't come in here with an agenda. I'm not thinking about anybody as I'm preaching this, you know. I, <laughs> I know, I landed on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and seriously, I'm not like the church needs to hear this. I just felt like it was what God was putting on my heart and what this, the text was speaking to. So if you are, one of my goals in a sermon is to encourage you, if you are trying to walk in integrity, if you are trying to be faithful, and maybe you don't have a big ministry or whatever, but you're trying to follow God and do what's right, I just want to encourage you to keep it up because that's what God wants. Imagine the impact that we would have as a church if we stopped preaching and just lived righteous lives, you know? I'm not saying preaching is bad, but just we don't even need to preach if we're all living as people of integrity. The church is going to be like, wow, those people who call themselves Christians are different, right? And so if you are trying to be a person of integrity and it feels, I don't know, maybe humdrum or you don't feel like you have a big mystery or whatever, just keep it up because it's what we need. This is what the church needs. It's regular people like you and me who are living lives of integrity. But if you have been sitting here and you recognize that you've been hiding things, just trying to fit the churchianity mold, playing both sides of the fence, whatever God is putting on your heart. I just want to encourage you to get real. I'm not saying you have to be perfect to come to church. I'm not saying you have to figure it all out tomorrow. But what I do think matters is that we're real. We're not hiding. We're not lying. 
We're not trying to play both sides of the fence. We are serious about becoming people of integrity. And if there's an area where we're failing, we're serious about making it right. We're willing to open up and talk to people about it to get help. We're willing to lay down our pride and move towards it because we know this is what God wants, right? That's what matters. So I encourage you, confess your sin, bring it to the light, and let's repent from it and walk before God in integrity.